Good morning, Connection Point Church. I'm so excited to uh, bring you something special this morning. You know, all week I've been praying about how our church would respond to uh, just the events of this past week. Uh, there's so many uh, questions that I, I've been get, uh, that people have asked me. There are, are things that I've not known how to respond to, and so I've really took some time uh, this past week just to pray. And one of the things the Lord was telling me is that. Uh, we really need to enter into a season of, of listening. And so uh, what, I'm, what I uh, am excited to do today is to just invite you in to, to listen to a conversation. I've got some friends with me. Um, we have, uh, first of all, Pastor Jeff and Adrian, and uh, they, they pastor Grace Word Fellowship here in Wiley. And I am so excited. I've, I've been able to, to hear a little of their hearts this week, and it just spoke to me. And so I'm glad for you to hear them. And then you know um, to, um, to Fadzwa and Chloe, and I'm just excited that you get to hear from them as well because they bring in a unique ex uh, perspective to uh, just all of the racial events that, that have happened and where we go from here. And my main heart uh, for what we're going to do is we're going to have a three-part discussion. And the series is called Remedy because we want to not only fix and find a problem, we want healing. And so mm -hmm. that's where we're going to start this discussion today is we're going to start with uh, healing. And so um, Eric and I are going to uh, basically listen to, uh, we're going to ask some questions and listen to some answers. And we really just start for the start, we really just thought for this first part that uh, we would kind of uh, address the 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 weight that the racial uh, conflicts of, of this country have, have put on some of our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so um, before we get to that, though, I do want to give us, we have a verse that is going to be uh, kind of a theme verse for this, and it's Proverbs 31, 8, and 9. It says, speak up for those who can't speak for themselves, uh, for the rights of those who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly and defend the rights of the poor. And uh, really, just with a mindset we enter in, that we are called to be a part of the solution. And so that's the heart here, is that not only will we find solutions and that the Lord is going to speak to us, I really believe Connection Point Church is going to, uh, is, is going to be able to do some great things. I believe Grace, Fellowship, uh, Grace Word Fellowship is going to be able to do some great things just from listening to the Spirit during this uh, discussion. And so the first question that I have uh, is just, I'd like to know uh, simply, how did you feel when you saw the murder of George Floyd. And uh, Pastor Jeff, I'll, I'll start with you. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. Oh, I think my, my first initial response was, again, uh, uh, it was hurtful. I think I made it through the first couple minutes just to hear, and then uh, I just I had to turn it off because uh, it was hurtful to see. And then once I, I, I think I watched it in phases. So I saw the initial knee. And then when I, when they, when I finally watched, go, went on into the video, saw that three people was on him, three officers. I'm like, okay, now, uh, does it, you know, so, uh, and I've learned through the years just to wait and see uh, what happened. What did he do? And then when they start saying over oh, counterfeit check or whatever it was, $20, I'm like, okay, Lord. Uh, again, when will it stop? And I think that was my biggest, when will it stop? What will it take for us to move forward from, uh, from this? And, uh, uh, and then another thing is now what, I, what else I have to tell my kid? Because I have a son that's 14, about to go into high school. He's about to start feeling himself. And, 
and my daughter, what do I tell them that I haven't had the conversation about racism and et cetera? And, uh, and, and God just uh, brought, arrested my tongue and my anger and said, it's, it's love. The only answer is love. And uh, so I had to back up from it and not address it. But it was the, uh, I'm a newly pastor. Uh, four years we've been pastoring. I've been in ministry for about 20 years, 18 to 20 years. And I've seen a lot, been through a lot, and experienced a lot. But it seemed like it's never, it's always something else that come and kind of draw me back. I'm from Mississippi. And uh, just to see some of the things that's continually to happen uh, to us as a people, I'm like, when, when is enough? So that was the initial setback to me. Again, why now? You know, what will it take? Or are you going to force us uh, in a corner? Uh, uh, coming up in the, in the country, well, one thing I rec- uh, we hit a, we was driving, man, my dad was driving, and we hit a raccoon. He got the raccoon and put it in the trunk of the car. When we stopped and got to our destination to get the raccoon, because you know we ate, try to we ate a little bit of everything, but but when we go go to open the trunk, the raccoon jumped out at us. So when you pin something down to where they have no other escape, and I think that's what we're seeing now. You're seeing people who now saying, "I'm tired." Uh, 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 and I have no other way. They're, they're not listening to reason. Uh, you know, Kaepernick need, and that wasn't good enough. Uh, we made it all about the song, the Star thing about it. No, it wasn't about the song. It was, it was about the injustices that was happening. So, in short, did for me. So. All right, man. Uh, Question sorry. number one. And that's, <laughs> there sorry. we go. No, that's good. Adrian, would you like to say anything? You know, for me, I didn't even... It took me probably a few days to even watch the video. Mm. I saw the after. It was just the fact of seeing the knee, seeing him dead, and then I got enough courage to watch the video, and I turned it off because I started crying. Because in my mind, it's like, why? Just why, you know? Um, Yeah, like he said, okay, what did he do? Was he running away? Did he, you know? That did kind of occur to me, but at the end of the day, I was like, but why? What, what danger did he cause to them that put them in this mindset of, this is my only option? Mm-hmm. And the whole idea that every time you, this happens, the, the line is, I feared for my life. Can you actually say you feared for your life in this moment right here? Mm-hmm. And so it was just, I just started crying because I just... I could not imagine that being my husband, being my son, um, and someone not caring enough about them to just want to see them just die. Because to mm. me, they just want to see them die. Tafadzwa? And I'm gonna, again, I encourage y'all to keep the mic close. Tafadzwa, how'd you feel? Um, so I watched the video a couple of days after it happened um, for much reason. Like, people kept talking about it, and I was like, man, I got. Do I want to watch that? Like, it sounds it sounds bad. And when I first turned the video on, my first initial reaction was, I watched it. You know, a couple seconds in, I see you know, knee on the back of the neck, and I'm like, okay, looks like an arrest. You know, trying to maintain control. I've learned restraint holds. I know there's other options, but you know, whatever. Like, I'm not a police. I don't know all the protocols. Then the person do, who recorded it does a it's a screen recording. He fast forwards. To five minutes later, 
still going on. And I'm like, huh. Then fast forwards to nine minutes into the video, still going on. And then now he's no longer responsive. And I'm like, what? Then fast forward again to where the, the police officers show up. And then, um, then like the video ends and watching it, like, you know, it was terrifying, you know, because I was like, wow, like, I don't know. I didn't know a thing about George Floyd before this happened, mm-hmm. right? On, on camera, it was just another black guy, you know. And the scary thing about that was it's not until after someone is a victim that you learn about the person. And that's mm-hmm. what's terrifying is, like, there's, there's only, a, only one misunderstanding that's stopping that somebody, that hashtag from being my brother, mm-hmm. for being my sister, from being me one day, mm. you know, from being our kids one day and the way things are going right now is you know it doesn't matter what kind of qualification somebody could have all it takes is a misunderstanding and overt use of force and then somebody becomes a you know I don't want to say a, a martyr but someone becomes another victim of a of a broken system and it was terrifying and then I became angry because I watched it watching the video I'm like there were so many people that stood by and watched and that is the problem with the system. The, the poison is that it's broken and people get hurt and there are people dying, unnecessary deaths. And the worst part about it is so systematic in the sense that people watched it. People, re- it is recorded. I mean, somebody, people stood there watching from beginning to end and people were so too terrified to intervene mm-hmm. from bystanders to other police officers. There was a police officer standing in place, stopping people from coming in, and people were voicing, and this is where like, I was angry. I was like, yo, like, obviously no one can, I was like, you, there's no one listening anymore because they voiced, hey, that's enough. He's not breathing, hey, stop. But there was no intervention to stop. <clears throat> and then we, have to, then we have the situation today. So I was, I was scared um, for just the possibility of who, and that could be me one day, like I could get stopped. And no one's gonna care. Like, oh, hey, he well, he's grad school. He's been doing ministry. Right. Um, he's done this. It wouldn't matter at that point. It would be another black kid, another black man, and then it, my story wouldn't be told until I'm gone. And then I was like, what if that's my kid one day? What if that's my brother one day? What if that's my dad? What if that's my mom? You know, like we've all been stopped by the police before, and you know, and it's and it's it was terrifying. Yeah. And I was angry because I was like, how many more times are we gonna sit here? and watch this happen and scream and shout and there'd be nothing done. And then once it's over and then it's like, oh yeah, sorry about that. You know, like we've heard a lot of sorries and I don't want another yeah. sorry being for somebody that's, you know. Chloe, Chloe, how'd, be Chloe. how'd you, uh, how'd you feel? Yeah, um, I wish I could say that it was disbelief that was the initial response, but um, it wasn't. Um, I think when I initially saw it, it was just like the sheer, it was so disheartening for me to see that video and to see how it all played out and kind of echoing what everyone else has said, and especially when Tafazo, he just listed off, he was like, you know, that could be me. And he listed off like his accolades and his accomplishments. But it's like, why should a man have to list off what he has done well to kind of make himself like worthy of not being seen as a threat? Just because the color of his skin, like, why is he seen, you know, initially as a threat? And then after he kind of, like, lists off, hey, well, but I've gone to school, you know, this, that, and the other. Is it less threatening? 
Um, and like in this instance, you know, my dad is an officer, so I have a very, I can't say that I'm like against all police. I'm not. I am so disheartened that there are the bad ones out there that have created just this rhetoric that everyone is, you know, that police are bad. Um, but I just know that in this instance, like, there could be good. And I wish that, you know, someone in that position stood up for that. Yeah. So. Um, in Ecclesiastes, which is what I was going to be preaching on before this, one of the, the, the thoughts uh, that will come, come uh, several times in that book, it says, there's nothing new under the sun. Yeah. <clears throat> and, uh, and even as I had a conversation with uh, Jeff the other day, that was kind of his thought of, and he said it earlier, just here we go again, that thought. Um, but then again, we have the words of Jesus in Revelation 21, Jesus saying, behold, I make all things new. And so we have this contrast uh, with what the world and under the sun, when you take God out of it and you just look at the things under the sun, we see these, these cycles and, and we, I, I can feel the angst. But then we've also got uh, Jesus who is saying, hey, it's not going to always be the cycle. We're not caught in a cycle. I'm making things new. Mm. Um, why should we start with Jesus when we talk about race? Why should this, why is it important for Christ followers to make sure we start with Jesus when we talk about race? And uh, for the sake of time, everyone doesn't have to answer. In fact, I'm going to let you kind of just uh, take the lead if you'd like to answer. I'll answer. So, it starts with Jesus because it's a heart check. Um, we are the walking, living Bible that somebody else will not see. And so, especially when we think about um, non-believers, when we think about those who have fallen away from the faith, when we think about those who, who just do not have a clear understanding of the love of God, and they see what they see from those who name the name of Christ, it starts with him so that people can see this is who Jesus really is. This is the reflection of who he is. And so when it comes to race and racism, if we separate it and say, well, white people act this way, black people act this way, but we're supposed to both be Christians, we have already split who Jesus is supposed to be. Jesus is supposed to be one and one and all. You see what I'm saying? So he's supposed to, he, if he is in us, this living, breathing being that is within us through the Holy Spirit, then, then they should see the love of Christ regardless of what we look like on the outside. So we have to start with him and we have to walk like him. Uh, just this week I was thinking about like what, where I needed to go, what I needed to do. And I don't like a lot of conflict. So I try and I just stand back and don't say anything. But I was reading a book today and it just really was just what it talked about with Jesus was just love your neighbor, love your neighbor. And if you're not saying anything and just standing by and watching, is that loving your neighbor? So I feel like for me, like it is good to listen. And, but I just, I also need to take action and showing my love and that comes from one of Jesus's big commandments for us is hmm. loving our neighbors so and I'll just echo what you guys are saying 
in John, Jesus was, before he, right before he was about to go, he was talking to his disciples, and one of the things he left them with was like, you should be known by the way you love. And that is, like Erica was talking about, that love is past um, gender, past race, is by the way you love. And in, in regards to why we should start with Jesus is because of being known by the way you love, how can you say you love your neighbor if you aren't your brother's keeper? If you don't, if you see that and you can remain numb and unmoved by it, there is no love in that. Yeah. All right, I'm gonna um, keep us moving. So uh, I've got a stack of questions here. Um, what would you say, and, and we're kind of still talking about healing um, because it's important that we understand um, that for some of us, I know for me, uh, I don't feel a need to heal. I just want to fix it. But uh, but I want to establish that there's been harm done, that 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 healing is necessary. Um, what would you say to someone who says, uh, yeah, but what about black on black crime? Or uh, you know what, why is white on black crime? Why is this particular uh, murder, why now? Why is this the issue? What would you say to someone who is curious about why now we're supposed to make change? Why is this happening? Why the why protests, why protests now? Well, I think one of the things, if you go kind of back to the past, um, I remember being told that if it's a problem in a black neighborhood, that if it's not resolved then, it becomes something like a pandemic when it gets out into the world. And so, because nothing was ever resolved for black on black crime, okay? Let's, it was never, you know, when it came to drugs, when it came to teen pregnancy, it, it was never a, a issue that anyone wanted to kind of come in and participate and help and say, okay, let's get this resolved. So you have this black on black crime, but then when you see white on black crime, black on black crime can be um, stem from a lot of different different areas. I am not making excuses for black on black crime, okay? But it can stem from a lot of different things. But it just appears that white on black crime is usually racially motivated. It's very seldom that, that you hear, okay, let, let's just say that, that you hear that a white person killed a black person for money that a white person killed a black person, that they carjacked them, and that a white person killed a black person because of, you know, just something, you know, I, I, there is a, no crime that's There's a hate behind good. it. There's a hate behind it. Yes, usually. there's yeah. usually just this, this yeah. one thing that is perpetuated the color of their skin. Yeah. But I think there's a double standard there, too, because in our community, the black-on-black -black crime, I mean, it, it, it's a, uh, yeah. Uh, it stems from a lot, a lot of things that has happened because, you know, we want something that somebody else got and can't afford it. Or the lack of, the lack of opportunity, the lack of being able to work because you have all the injustices again uh, that is against you, against the parent that can't afford certain things for the kids or whatever. So, like I said, we can't make an excuse for it mm -hmm. because we all have to work to get out of our own situation. But we have to give hope somewhere. Uh, or bring hope into the community by mentorship and, and then when we arrive and come out, we got to go back and teach and grow. Uh, so I think, like you said, it's a difference in the two, uh, but I think both of them equally is wrong. Right. Just, you know, just wrong. And then we have to love ourselves enough to stop it. Mm -hmm. 
you know, stop killing each other and, and, and let alone uh, raise the, uh, the integrity up in our own lives that would help everybody else respect, right. respect us. I think. You know, so. and, and for me, uh, there is a, a history of white on black crime that sometimes when we look at just the stats of, well, why are we just looking at this one now? Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we neglect the fact that there is a centuries and centuries of history of, in, uh, of injustice. And so for me, um, I think that why not try to solve, uh, we can solve mm-hmm. as many problems, but is it, when we f- see this pain, why not? Uh, especially if the church can lead out. Um, I'm going to move on to the next question so that we can keep, uh, so that we can get to them all. Um, I was getting a haircut by uh, one of the best barbers that I've ever, uh, ever seen. <laughs> Pastor Jeff was cutting my hair. And one of the things you said was you said they just keep changing the game. Mm-hmm. And uh, talking about the injustice or the, the feeling of unfairness. And it was hard for me to understand at first. I, um, and I actually went and I, I did a lot of uh, research and just looked at some historical events. And so I think I began to understand. But I'd like you to explain what do you mean when you say they, the, the game keeps changing uh, for the African-American experience? Uh, well, I think as no matter how we educate ourselves, no matter how many degrees we get, we hit one place and then the rules change. You tell us we have to have this and you will promote us. You tell us we have to do this and we'll get this. So we're constantly trying to be better than the next man and prove ourselves. And once we achieve it, I mean, when is enough enough? When do we arrive to the place that you have arrived to say, hey, I got this? And, uh, and, and, and uh, I mean, just, and I think it's different stages of life. Like, uh, I've been uh, self-employed for over, what, 20-some years. And uh, I've been with a specific bank for so long, it's been the hardest just trying to get a small business loan so I can do other things. Uh, to push myself, I got to save, I got to cut corners here. You know, when, when I hear others, they go in and boom, it's moving. But I'm constantly got to prove, I got to show ID, I got to go back to my mom and them, you know, to, 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 to prove that or bring extra. It just seems like it's never enough. When is enough enough? And I think we've, and that's what we're seeing too, the injustices uh, of just trying to arrive or be better. And so I teach my son, I said, you got to go harder than anybody else. Yeah. And so, uh, uh, and that's, I mean, when enough enough? Uh, when we talk about uh, racism, some people talk about uh, systemic racism, and I think that uh, one of the things that's important is to define systemic racism, what you mean by the term, um, because is it sometimes when we talk about it as systemic racism, is it racism or is it racist? In other words, is, is it an individual uh, problem in the heart or is it um, systemic or is it, it could be both. But when we talk, mm. when you talk about uh, racism, and, w- and you don't have to give every explanation, but, and I'll, I'll go this way this time. Uh, in what ways do you think racism might be systemic? And in other ways, which way is it not systemic? Because I think it's important that we, we, we address it from that perspective. 
Yeah, um, so I have had a background working with um, youth and especially youth in like under-deserving neighborhoods. And so with that, um, and, and then also being a teacher in the schools, I think where it starts like that systemic racism, it starts at the very beginning. In the schools, it is proven that more kids of color are sent to ISS or suspended mm -hmm. than white kids. So mm -hmm. it's usually in the classrooms where teachers, it's they have a, you know, not as much leeway with kids of color. They don't get as many chances. They're the ones who are the ones who are in detention, the ones who are missing out on opportunities. And like that's where it starts because like education is the foundation that they then build upon. And if they don't get that solid solid building block and that solid mm -hmm. like initial chance mm -hmm it's really hard for them to then go forward. Would that be a problem that is solved through, in other words, is that from the teacher's uh, evil or discrimination in the teacher's heart, or is it systemic in that uh, it's part of the system, that it's, it's so widespread that it's being taught or, or presented somehow into, to, what do you think? honestly don't think there's like one correct answer for that because it also, honestly like when you are in the classroom it's hard to say that oh I'm going to knowingly give this student another chance and I'm going to knowingly you know <coughs> automatically discipline this student and so like I don't think I could give you an honest answer on where I believe that is I think it's a combination of both okay. so I've also worked with kids um in areas of more need per se. And to kind of, kind of piggyback off what Chloe was saying, what you see a lot of is it's not so much that it's racism on a particular teacher's part where you, see, you will see cases like that. It is tolerance. Um, and that tolerance comes from um, stereotypes. Mm -hmm. Kids of color have, be noticed to them or not, a stereotype that follows them when they step foot in the classroom. And a lot of times that stereotype isn't founded based on what any particular one kid has done. It's founded on the stories that have been told over and over and over again. And that's where they don't get the same level of patience because they already anticipated, they have already been labeled as a troublemaker. So much like, um, much like what was said earlier, that at that point, we, they have to do so much more to earn the dignity that the kids of like non-color, the white kids in the class already have. They have to make straight A's in order to be considered a smart kid, mm -hmm. not just walk in the classroom. They have to do so much more to earn that dignity, and that's where they, I believe systematic racism comes in, is that is the, the starting place is not the same for everybody, but the finish line is the same. Mm -hmm. They expect it to be as successful as everyone else, but have to work twice as hard to earn the same level of success. And it's not due to any particular individual teacher's fault. It is because the stereotype that follows them and the stories that are told of kids of color throughout generations of teaching. And I think that it is interesting that you say it that way because um, a lot of times my perspective uh, can be, well, the opportunity's the same. It's equal opportunity, but uh, we can't always see um, what, what you're talking about. You can't always see the kid that gets sent a, a little bit faster got sent to ISS or got uh, just, hey, he's already going to fail this class. So he's, um, so that's, that's an interesting, I've never really even thought about that. Do you have a, a word? I've got good questions, so you don't, don't feel you have to answer, but if, do you have anything? All right. 
Now, as Christ followers, we, we've uh, got a high calling. Does it ever feel uh, like following Jesus is counterproductive to making progress in civil rights? Do you ever feel like forgiveness or loving your enemies is counterproductive to the cause of African Americans? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and I, 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 was, I, had, I was struggling with that these past, this past week or so, this past two weeks. And I couldn't understand um, the struggle. And I really had to go in to pray and ask God, and, and you know, what, what is my struggle right now? You know, I'm, I'm a Christian, I'm black, but what, is, what am I struggling with? And it took um, a friend of mine, it took a friend of mine, she, she, she was like, hey, you know, something's not right about you. I could look at you and I didn't, I was, I almost got a feeling like, what do you mean? I'm not looking right. She said, something's not right in your spirit. And so she prayed for me, and then she sent me a scripture. And she sent me the scripture that says, blessed are the peacemakers. And that was my struggle, because as a Christian, yes, there are those who are going to be fighting on the front lines. Yes, there are those who are going to be protesting. Yes, there are those who are going to have, you know, do other things. But for me, my role is to be a peacemaker. And that, and that is the part of the bridging the gap that I, that I understand my responsibility is to be as a Christian, as a black Christian, as a, you know, however you want to put me, um, in the civil rights movement, if you will, that I am to be the peacemaker. I am still to display Christ. I am still to show who he is and his power and authority of being able to change this whole situation. And it is not to say, the civil rights movement has not occurred. It is not to say it, that there's not work to be done, but Jesus has to be in the center of it for it to even make any sense to anybody else because nobody else is going to see it. It's going to, somebody might decide, you know what, it's, my, it's not worth it, but Jesus will still make justice prevail, but there has to be some peacemakers among everybody else that's doing other things. And I think there's an element, too, that we have, the church has to prepare for, for us uh, as a uh, black race, that for the years we've thought, and the word, even the word, the Bible has been used against us mm -hmm. throughout history and slavery. They used the word of God to handcuff us and keep us down. And so now I think we're going into an era now where uh, the people are questioning their faith. And uh, for, for the longest I grew up, the Jesus picture I saw was white, long hair, until I matured enough to start reading the word of God for myself and know that God is for everybody. There's no race. We are the human race. Mm -hmm. So we're, that element, we don't have time to address it tonight because we, we've seen throughout history how men and folks that say they are Christian. I mean, yeah. look at what we say that we are Christian or and then, but your actions are not showing what the word of God right. is. You're not exemplifying love. Love, you should be a peacemaker. Why are you exciting war, or you, 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 you advocating people to get angry? You setting the stage to make stuff happen against a certain race. So I think we're looking at that element as well. Yes, Jesus, that's the only thing that has kept me sane, <laughs> is to know that his love and his grace is sufficient. But now I got to have conversations with people who are already straddling the fence, questioning their faith, 
because this continued to happen. Right. And the, uh, the, the church, the white church, uh, uh, white, uh, you're good, you're good. Am I right? Okay. <laughs> Has not spoken out on it. Right. So it takes conversations like this. We have said we're going to conversate, but it's not enough just to have yeah. a conversation. We got to now live out what we read right. about. Christianity perpetuated and ended slavery. And that's, it's a fascinating that it was used to do both. Yes, yes. Uh, what do y'all think? Is it ever hard being a Christian? Uh, do you ever think it's counterproductive uh, to, to follow Christ? Um, is it ever counterproductive to the civil rights movement? Um, for me personally, I haven't felt that. Uh, a lot of my experience with Christ um, and just my understanding of like the Bible and the gospel is it is counterproductive when I hear it used to perpetuate or to further egg on um, discrimination and things of that sort because it doesn't speak to the truth of the gospel. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't speak to the truth of why Jesus came um, because he himself was, came to free everybody from being slaves, from being slaves to sin being slaves to ourselves, to being, like, under him and being um, sons. So I find it difficult to, I I don't find it difficult at all to be a Christian and still speak out because I think that's part of, a strong part of the gospel. All right, this is the last question for this first part of healing, and so uh, the other sections are a little shorter. Um, But this one, again, for our church, we just want to kind of leave with... uh, a question I've actually been asked several times, and that is, this is a multiple uh, choice, by the way. You're going to get some, you're going to get to speak to a couple of things. Um, how should a white follower of Christ feel um, about the events of this past week and about uh, injustices, racial injustices? Um, I'm going to give you four choices. Uh, guilty, be mad, sad, or something else. Should, we, should a white person feel guilty, mad, sad, or something else, do you think? Um, I would think it would be, I think there should be a sadness that's felt at the injustice of what happened. Um, but then I think it would be, it should be a call to action. Like that should ignite something in their spirit to want to do something. Yeah. And so what gets me, and I think what's hardest to see, is the ones who have seen it, who have heard the stories and have heard of everything going on and still are silent and are not doing anything. Because I think that right there is like, just hurts the most. Because it's like there's inaction when there's injustice. And I think that's counterintuitive to who we are as Christians. So, I think speaking to that, um, coming from a white person, I think there's a, like I've, this week I've just not, I haven't taken action because I don't know what to do. And I have watched people that have taken action on social media and they, people are tearing them apart for what they're saying. And it's like, I don't want to say the wrong thing. I don't want to offend anyone. I'm a peacemaker. I like to, I like for there to be peace. And so I don't want to do something that disrupts that. I don't want to say the wrong thing. So it's like, there's this, like, I think this conversation is good because it's teaching me what, where I can begin. But I honestly am just at a loss for where to go, you know? Um, I find how should a white person feel if you feel I think it could be any one of those answers or it could be all of them at the same time 
um, guilt makes sense because if you ha yourself have been a part of discrimination or anything like that in the past, and now all of a sudden you've seen it as a problem, and the spirit makes you feel uneasy watching it, and there's a sense of guilt, that's fine. Process that, deal with it, take that to the Lord, there's healing for that. If you feel mad or sad, that's fine. You know why? Because if your friend was the one there, how would you feel mad or sad? If that was your brother, would you feel mad or sad? In this situation, because it's a person and it's wrong, it makes sense as a Christian, as a believer, to feel mad and sad or guilty because the Holy Spirit should ignite something in you like what my wife said. Right. Now, as we close out this, uh, this first section um, where we've just been talking about healing, uh, my hope for us as Connection Point Church and really for all the churches is there's a vision behind this series and the vision behind this series is very simple. The question that I've been asked the most this week is what are we gonna do about it? My vision for this series and where we take this series is that the next time a racial injustice occurs, that no one looks at Connection Point Church and asks, what are we gonna do about it? Instead, they look and say, wow, look at how the church is already taking action. And so the prayer I have for this first part is simply that we take some time this week to pray and to really begin listening to the Lord. How is it that we are going to take action and not just for a week, not just change our social media profile, but how are we going to truly, truly love our neighbor?